some of the kind of values that have defined these companies are also something that speaks to a lot of people. Welcome to Branding Over Wine, an exclusive podcast by Branding Man. I'm Martin Shearer, and I'm super excited to be sharing some great conversations with some of our personal marketing and branding heroes. And with us here today, we have Digger Zetterberg, Head of Communications at Frontify. Digger has worked with world-beating Scandinavian brands such as IKEA, has covered the advertising trade press for over 10 years, and was head of Sweden's biggest advertising award for five years. You can rightly say that Digger is one of the leading experts on Scandinavian brands. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Branding Over One. And today we're going to talk with Digger Zetterberg, and especially we're going to talk about Scandinavian brands. So what makes Scandinavian brands so quintessentially, timelessly beautiful and accepted all over the world? But Digger, can you first introduce yourself? Sure. So um, as mentioned, I'm Digi Setterberg. Um, I work at Frontify, which is a, a brand engagement platform that helps brands keep people engaged and on brand with all of their brand assets. Um, and before that, I've spent uh, many years working in the agency world uh, in Scandinavia. So I worked at several different agencies and with a lot of Scandinavian brands. So hopefully I have something to share there. Super. Now let's start with an easy one. It's actually not that easy. What makes Scandinavian brands so successful? Million dollar question. Um, I think that one of the things that's true about brands in general is that you need to be distinct. Um, I mean, you need to stand out. Um, also, another kind of universal truth is that you need to make people feel something it's not about um you know just like getting people to remember you but also to really kind of remember you by feeling something when they engage with your brand um and i think that a lot of scandinavian brands have been successful uh in being distinct and standing out and also mm -hmm. potentially representing values that kind of mean something to people which makes them connect with those brands um and then of course that's just just the branding part but then of course you also have to kind of pair that and and those values uh, and that distinction also has to uh, go into whatever product or service you're offering and i think a lot of Scandinavian brands like Spotify or Ikea or others have really managed to also bridge that kind of product and branding gap in a really nice way too. That's so fascinating. We'll get back to that in a moment. This is bridging this gap between products and brands. Also, what I found very interesting, what you mentioned earlier, this link to value. So uh, is there a specific set, let's say what you could call Scandinavian values that are part of this Scandinavian way of branding? Well, um, I think that what Scandinavia and perhaps Sweden in, in particular um, is known for being quite liberal um, and also mm -hmm. uh, quite atheist um, and also very kind of open to new concepts. Um, and I think there's, there's this general kind of fear of missing out, which makes us... Um, interested in new technology, kind of early adopters, all of those things. Uh, but also this 
um, liberalism, um, so not really holding on necessarily to kind of uh, conservative thoughts or kind of uh, old ways of doing things, and maybe that has kind of, um, you know, opened up for a lot of innovations and new ways of, of um, approaching things. Um, and I think that's, I think that's kind of perhaps the essence of it. Uh, but of course, there are like, you know, more levels and aspects of it than that. But yeah. Indeed, this, this is becoming a really interesting discussion, like straight from the beginning. So especially what we see here is this link between uh, values and perhaps also the structure and the values of society, how the values of society are being, let's say, transposed or catapulted into, into brands. And basically, if I read correctly what your suggestion is that there is a, a link between the success of Scandinavian brands and the society that brings forth those brands and the values of those brands. So let's say you mentioned liberalism, uh, less conservative uh, things that, we, uh, uh, that you mentioned. The, um, um, also perhaps does egalitarianism play a role in that? And Definitely. And I think, I mean, there's, um, I think uh, um, IKEA is a very good example of that, that I think yeah. encompasses a lot of those values. Um, and they even have it kind of written down in basically, um, it's kind of like a statement that they have even on their website. I think they call it democratic design, which is also very <laughs> Swedish sounding even. Um, and they have these like core principles um, that whatever they kind of put forth should uh, follow these five rules, which is like form, function, um, and I'm supposed to be knowing them a little bit better than this, sustainability, uh, quality, and low price. Um, oh, form, function, sustainability, quality, and uh, 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 affordable. Low price, low price. exactly. Low yeah. price, because, yeah. Because that was very much the founder's vision that he wanted to create uh beautiful simple furniture for everyone so he even had this like saying that he kept using that it's supposed to be for the many people uh he really wanted to kind of bring uh form function and all these like the beautiful furniture into the homes of swedish people initially and then of course globally um so um I think that's that's very this. I mean, going back to what you were saying about the egalitarian mindset, uh, that um, I think you could also kind of um, uh, translate into what H and M's idea was at the beginning too, to kind of take uh, high fashion into you know the homes of like normal people who didn't have you know the budgets perhaps to like buy. Uh, like haute couture or whatever. So I think it's uh, it's definitely something that's kind of reoccurring. Um, and then, of course, I think over time there have been uh, new challenges added to those uh, to those because, um, of course, you don't want to have this like fast fashion or also with with furniture. You don't want it to be kind of like buying new furniture all the time. So I think the sustainability aspect of it has become more important. But that, I don't think that that was necessarily part of it from the beginning. Could you then perhaps take the next step to say that if the Swedish brands are so focused, let's say, on these brand values, which are part of a Swedish and by extent Scandinavian culture, that uh, uh, other brands that, that copy them 
are, let's say, part of the same branding school because Swedish brands and Scandinavian brands are, have become famous worldwide. And the way they look at brands and they look at branding uh, has also become very much prominent, at least under brand marketeers. Um, I think it's a mix because I, I, I don't think that, um, I mean, of course, now we've kind of focused on, on two Swedish brands, which is like IKEA yeah. and H&M. And I wouldn't say that IKEA or H&M necessarily, especially historically, have been known for high quality. <laughs> I think the quality has improved. Uh, but I think that we all know we've all had these like Billy bookcases that are really wobbly. So um, <laughs> yeah. but if you compare it to like um, Danish, um, like Danish design, um, there are a lot of really great Danish brands, um, especially like a lot of great um, furniture brands um, like Hay and others. Um, there's Bang & Olufsen. Um, I mean, then Lego is not really like a furniture brand, but um, I would say that Denmark also has a really strong kind of design uh, tradition. Uh, but uh, there, I would say it has more kind of like high quality. Um, uh, and I don't know if that's because uh, I also know that like for people outside of Scandinavia, I don't think, you know, they don't know the difference between Denmark, Norway, Sweden, whatever to them. It's all Scandinavia, <laughs> which is fine, of course. And of course, to a Scandinavian person, it's very different, very, very different. <laughs> um, but I think uh, like from the outside perspective, if you mix all of those, you do get like very nice looking things with high quality. Uh, yeah that has this simplicity to it. Um, and I think that's something that kind of um, is definitely also more of a Nordic Scandinavian thing. Also, if you look at some of the uh, Finnish brands, um, I mean, there's um, um, a lot of like really famous uh, Finnish like architects and others um, and um, like Artek and Alvaralto, just like some, some really nice furniture and, and um, uh, when you look at that, I think all of it has, there's definitely similarities when it comes to kind of really taking away all the unnecessary parts and just making it as simple, functional and beautiful as possible and kind of using this, um, like natural, um, using wood and all these materials that we have plenty of here because <laughs> it's all, yeah. it's all trees anyway. Um, so I definitely think uh like mixing mixing them i think uh there are some common themes uh that i can see if people from the outside have kind of picked out and and, and identified as scandinavian but of course there are like differences i think one other aspect that i think is very scandinavian um regardless mm -hmm. if you look at kind of finland denmark sweden norway whatever is kind of the um the cross team collaboration um that takes place when you kind of uh, create these things and i know that <clears throat> a lot of these brands and a lot of these companies are very good at it um i think a good example i know that there's a university in finland where they basically merged kind of like architecture engineering and design into like one university so really kind of making sure that all of those aspects kind of meet mm -hmm. and mingle. Um, and I know also because um, at one of the agencies I worked uh, for in the past, I worked quite closely with IKEA and um, I got to attend one of their, they had these huge press days once a year uh, in Elmhult, which is where in the middle of nowhere in Sweden, where uh, IKEA originated from. 
um, and they kind of um, dived into the design principles. So they had this chair uh, that they showed everyone and really explained in detail how that chair was produced and how that process looks. And uh, the way they work is because, of course, they really adhere to these five rules that I mentioned before. Um, even people from logistics are involved at the very beginning of the production because um, it's very important for them uh, how the package looks in the end. Like, yeah, because again, IKEA is known for their flat packages and you have to assemble everything <laughs> yourself. Um, and I think they had uh, like an example of with that one chair that they had uh, collected it or they, they've just kind of like assembled it, the designers, you know, the the people kind of with uh, uh, using the right material, all those things. Uh, and then in the end, uh, I think the package was like two centimeters too wide or big or something. And they were like, no, you have to go back to the drawing table and you have to redo it because this is not going to work logistically, um, which I think is a pretty nice example of also that kind of collaboration and marrying kind of uh, engineering, design, form, function, like everything comes together and it's very collaborative approach to kind of solving things that's supposed to work for many people. So I think that's pretty, it, it says something. And I, th I, I see that Indeed. in many of these companies and in, in, in also, like I said, with a university mm -hmm. in, in, in Helsinki in Finland. And so it's, it's, it's definitely kind of a reoccurring theme, I would say. So it's this collaborative approach, this how different uh, design groups or functions within design, talking about logistics, talking about architecture, we talk about buildings, uh, uh, perhaps let's say also uh, more on the, on the physical transport side of, of aspects are all fused together to, uh, uh, to, build, to build a product. And that means that all the different stages are included into design stage at a very early on stage when you make yeah. products. Yeah. So that also is perhaps part of, let's say, uh, Scandinavian culture, uh, which we know for a fact from uh, the social cultural research that, uh, uh, that we've seen, that it's, it's very much focused on collaboration and also on working in teams and yeah. perhaps also less hierarchical. Can I say that? Can I mention that? Can I say that? Yes, definitely. And it has its uh, <laughs> drawbacks as well. <laughs> I know that non-Swedes or non-Scandinavians usually when they come to Scandinavia and they're like, oh, it's an endless discussion. So like everyone has to agree and, you know, I, I know it drives people crazy, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's definitely. That's also so Dutch. So this is where, and, and we notice also for a fact that let's say Scandinavian culture has a very large value set. It's, uh, it's common with Dutch uh, culture. That's probably why Dutch people like uh, Scandinavia as much, but there is no bigger pleasure in Holland than uh, telling your boss what to do. Or saying no to your boss. That is, let's say, that is the yeah. biggest pleasure in Dutch companies. Yeah, so that's also very Swedish. Yeah, yeah, but I would say, like, my impression also, if you're that this is very, you know, generalizing here, but with Dutch, that they're perhaps more direct than Swedish people. Yes, uh, and funnily enough, now that I work for a Swiss-based company or a Swiss company, um, I've noticed that there are quite some similarities be between like Swiss people and and Scandinavians in terms of the kind of. Um, not very confrontative. Uh, they kind of want to agree and everything. So there's definitely some similarities that I wasn't really prepared for because I just, you know, wrote Switzerland office similar to Germany, where I've also spent a lot of times. And and of course, German culture is very different. But that's that's a different topic. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, it, 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 uh, I find it very fascinating how, let's say, there's this relationship between brands and cultures and, and how you have to build brands to, to, to bridge these, uh, these cultures, which you yeah. obviously, from uh, what you're, you're mentioning, both explicitly and implicitly, have a lot of experience with. And yeah. also what you mentioned is, let's say, uh, to, to take one step back, that within Scandinavia, there is a difference between, uh, uh, let's say, branding design schools and that perhaps... Uh, for instance, Danish brands are seen as a slightly higher quality than uh, Swedish brands. Can I interpret that correctly? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, they're definitely, of course, like um, more highbrow <laughs> quality Swedish brands as well. Um, but if you look at the really big ones coming out of Sweden that have become famous internationally, um, they've been all about enabling things for bigger audiences like Spotify, H&M, Ikea, um, Klarna, uh, like all these, all these uh, brands that have become really, really big internationally um, are all about basically, you know, like really democratizing. Yeah, yeah, big audiences, making it easy for a lot of people uh, to get access to music or furniture or fashion or like easier payments for a lot of people. I mean, it's um, and then if you compare it to some of the Danish ones, of course, you do have like Lego and all these things, but uh, which is, you know, a, a toy for many indeed. But um, like Bang and Olufsen and all these things, those are not for everyone because they're quite expensive, uh, but they're definitely very high quality. So that uh, um, fascinating to know these insights because I, I, as a as a um, outsider I would have not seen these uh, these insights into uh, this this subtle differences within the Scandinavian brands and what unites them is this simplicity ways egalitarian of democratizing uh, uh, the, the products working together communal aspects of, uh, of life and we know that is for the that's also let's say the brand values that score very high and the consumer values or societal values you can even call, call it score, score very high in, in Scandinavia yeah fascinating can you then also say that uh, these brands are more successful in societies where these brand values are let's say more appreciated of course IKEA is everywhere but still their success is bigger in some areas uh, than in other areas, for instance. Yeah. Um, yes, but I also know, which I think is, is interesting, like what happens when you're a brand and you kind of, uh, because IKEA, like if you look at like Spotify or, or H&M, they haven't um, branded themselves as Scandinavian or Swedish in any way, whereas IKEA really has. Like if you go to an IKEA, um in any country it's like mini sweden i mean everything is like yeah. they they sell meatballs and it's a very swedish experience yes, yeah, yeah. um but every brand of course when you go to other markets you also have to kind of you know know who you're talking to and and tweak the message basically and i also know that ikea has been getting um like they've been criticized because i think in um like when they still used to do their catalog like when they would do the catalog in um release it in saudi arabia they kind of photoshopped out the women there were i mean there's been some controversies about like not really living up to their um brand values uh and not kind of sticking to that um so i definitely think that um as a brand when you go somewhere new you have to kind of take into consideration that 
uh, those values might not resonate everywhere. And then, of course, I think it's important that you kind of decide whether, okay, this is standing for this might cost me something like I might lose out on certain target groups or whatever. And, and you, then you, I guess, have to kind of make a decision whether you want to like dilute your values or if you want to kind of stick by them and, and say, well, okay, then we're for these types of people who kind of agree with this. Um, uh, but yeah, that's also kind of interesting. Um, but I think that some of the kind of values that have defined these companies are also something that speaks to a lot of people. Uh, like there, there are also some universal human values that I think is is easy for people to identify with, and that kind of goes back also to um, uh, kind of that what you know a company or what a brand makes you feel. Um, and I think that um, if like inclusion and all these things are are part of um, you know, these brands or like it's easy, accessible, it makes it like makes me feel, you know, like I'm, I can eat, I can, it's easy for me to use it. It's easy for me to buy it. Like I, I can easily make my home look nice with less money. You know, that's, it appeals to a lot of people still, like even it though does. I, it yeah. does. Yeah. So on one hand, you're saying there's this universalism with Scandinavian brands step into, but you're also suggesting, and I think this is very quintessential for all international brand marketing is that you have to, to a certain extent, adapt to local, uh, uh, local culture and then uh, local norms. And yeah. then the next question is, what if these local norms are, let's say, more authoritarian or are uh, less egalitarian or yeah. are less inclusive than the brands that are from your home country? And then Scandinavia is, as you rightly mentioned, is very much democratically egalitarian, inclusive uh, way of building the brands. That means that a, a company like IKEA almost from the beginning sets itself up to have this discord, to have this yeah. uh, dichotomy and um, uh, will have to make a choice. Yeah. That, so that is, I don't want to say there's a downside because that's what you are and that's what you believe in as, as I think as a brand and society, but that naturally puts the limits to where you can grow, where you, where you can grow or, or you dilute your brand, which is perhaps a, uh, not the best thing to do long, uh, long term. And, and if it doesn't, if it's not what you stand for, why are you in it in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. Thing. <clears throat> I mean, you can get some pretty interesting reactions because I know, um, I mean, the way that um, IKEA is set up, they also work uh, very much with local ad agencies and local markets to really kind of adapt the messaging. But it's, it's very, I would say I've seen a lot of examples of IKEA commercials being made for different markets and they're very quintessentially IKEA still, but adapted to those markets. Um, but um, the agency that I worked for once made um, a series of commercials um, because of course IKEA also wants to be kind of uh, like realistic and kind of show people's home the way they actually look um, and show people's realities kind of the way it actually looks. Um, so there was this commercial um, with a boy with divorced parents and uh, it was very like it's, it was a very, very sweet commercial and he was basically he had the exact same room in both of his homes. Uh, so he had the exact same like IKEA furniture and it was kind of it was very cute and everything but that sparked so much and it was only made for Sweden like it, it only ran in Sweden. But it got so much recognition and so many reactions, especially, which is funny then, of course, especially from 
Southern Europe and more Catholic countries about, you know, oh, you're promoting divorce and everything. And it's like, no, on Twitter, of course, but, um, but it really blew up and, and uh, it just spread and, and it got, you know, written about all over the world and um, especially in Catholic countries. So that was quite fun. That is super, super interesting. So basically, Ikea, of all big brands, you, you, would, uh, you would think if anybody solved this issue, it would have been Ikea still struggles with trying to adapt to local culture and still has this issue that um, uh, communication travels beyond the, the, the core markets that you build your initial communication for. Yep. And so you still have this, you cannot compartmentalize on each market. You still have to have an international vision on all markets. And you suggested that uh, IKEA somehow tries to manage these sociocultural differences by using local agencies. Did they get it correct? Yeah, they do. Um, so IKEA basically runs like every country on its own, more or less. Um, yeah. So they do have a work with local um, agencies um, on the different markets, um, uh, which I think makes sense. Um, I mean, every every big global company um, does it differently. I know a lot of global countries who kind of or companies who who kind of centralize everything and then they just do adaptions. Um, and there, I just think it also comes down to um, how much time you want to spend on kind of creation and creativity. Um, and I think for IKEA, that part is very important. I think that IKEA strives even in their communication to have very high creative like craftsmanship in their commercials. So uh, they do kind of really try to do that and not just translate uh, an existing kind of ad from somewhere. Uh, how do they maintain then uh, design consistency or the IKEA feeling or the IKEA brand imagery across all these different agencies then? Or they don't? Or this is an issue? Um, I haven't so far come across uh, any examples where I felt like, oh, this is definitely not IKEA. I think that maybe because the brand in itself is very, very distinct again and very, it's it's pretty, I think um, for people working at IKEA, they have a pretty good understanding of what IKEA is and what it stands for. Um, and also for the agencies uh, creating these commercials, it seems like they've been able, at least the examples that I've seen, of course, there's so many, I haven't seen everything, um, able to kind of translate that into something and add like another layer to it. Um, I mean, I remember living in Germany and I saw um, IKEA ads and it was funny because they were even more kind of, they, they really kind of like, dialed up the Swedishness and added like Pippi Longstocking, all these things that would never happen in Sweden. <laughs> like we would never have Pippi Longstocking in an Ikea commercial. We don't have to, but, yeah. but in Germany, they were just like, oh, this is Swedish. Let's just like dial it all the way up. And yeah. So, so the, the uh, that is so fascinating. There is an anthropology, anthropology called the insider, outsider uh, effect and dilemma. And yep. you see this in cultures worldwide, not only with branding, that once cultures are transposed into another setting and think of immigrants, think of, uh, let's say, African immigrants in Europe, but also, uh, let's say, British immigrants in Northern Italy, they become more attached to the original culture than, they, uh, than how the cultures change. For instance, you have many 
people from um, uh, from Dutch descent that adhere more to their Dutchness outside the Netherlands yeah. than in Netherlands. And it's also so that it means that, in uh, by example, IKEA dials up the Swedishness outside of Sweden. Yeah, yeah, that's my impression. But yeah, it's funny because, like I said, we would never. You don't have to do that in Sweden, of course. Yeah, and there's something else that you said in between the lines that I, I think is incredibly interesting for for our listeners. So, the way to get consistency across all these different, let's say, markets and agencies is to make sure that the, that the values and the culture is totally infused into the organization so that yeah. everybody knows what, uh, in this case, the IKEA values are. We now focus on IKEA because I think it's an, an, an amazing good example to highlight how it works for, uh, yeah. uh, for Scandinavian brands or brands yeah. in general. That through yeah. infusing this, this culture, they yeah. make sure everybody adheres to the brand values. Yeah. It's also, by the way, a very democratic way of solving it, not top-down, not DRGs <laughs> and centralized. So that, that fits IKEA very well. Yeah. But I think that's also, I mean, it's, it's a universal thing. Um, I think, especially, I mean, now at, 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 at Frontify, we work with um, many huge brands uh, and smaller brands as well, but like big global brands. And we definitely see that um because i mean frontify is a brand like it's a brand management platform and the more engagement you see on there i mean the more kind of um it's basically the employees engaging with a brand essentially and uh you can definitely kind of see the correlation between high engagement from employees with a brand and how you know that brand performs also because if the if the employees kind of understand and embrace the brand uh then that's going to be kind of something that consumers will meet like will encounter across all touch points and that's very very important because it's not just what you slap on your product or in your ads it's also the encounters that they have with people you know the ambassadors of your brand so employer branding is hugely important i think too and um you kind of um I think whatever brand you have isn't just for the consumers, it's also for your employees to kind of live and breathe because they're, you know, your best ambassadors too, so. Um, can you say that that's for certain brands more than for other brands? I can imagine that, for instance, uh, for a service brand, that is even more so, and that if you're a pure manufacturing brand, it's less so, and that IKEA, because IKEA is, so fo- is, is somewhere in between with its, uh, uh, giant stores when people buy the products and go for inspiration that is also a big service element to it as well that that's more important for uh, companies that have um, a more interaction between the employees and the consumers um, I think that's um, like traditionally yes there's been a pretty big difference between business to business and business to consumer uh, companies I think that has changed um, because, uh, first of all, it, it seems that a lot of business-to-business companies are also moving into business-to-consumer uh, to a larger extent. Yeah. Um, S- sorry, uh, uh, um, I, I, I wasn't clear on this. So, yes, you're right, business-to-business is service, but also within consumer brands, you have service-oriented brands. Yes. Where the interaction between the employee and the consumer is more. And your brands yeah. that are, for instance, have less interaction. For yeah. instance, if you're a manufacturer of uh, a product and you have 
just putting it out there through digital channels. Yeah. Or if you're okay and you actually have uh, the inspirational big stores where people come and look for products, yeah. this interaction is, is, uh, is stronger. Um, stronger perhaps, but I don't think that the difference is that big. Um, okay. I think that even, even in a company where um, you know, the employees have less interactions with its consumers, I think that those employ, like employees are still very, very important ambassadors for that brand. Um, whether it's the people working in sales or in customer support, or it's just like any person working for that company, kind of in admin, whatever, um, you know, actually going out meeting people in the world and at some point telling them where they work and, you know, what that stands for and everything. So I think, I think it's it's hugely important, uh, kind of regardless of how many interactions you have between employees, and um, you really do need to uh, make sure. I think that your employers are kind of your brand ambassadors, um, and there's several ways to do that, of course. But um, yeah, and uh, so uh, to to make your employees uh, brand ambassadors, but that only works if they're proud of your company. And it only works if they have a say in the company, if they, if they feel involved in, uh, in the product and the decision and in the brand. Um, yes, um, I think so. I mean, of course, yes, you have to, you, you can't have like, mm, I mean, they have to be engaged. If they're not engaged with, with your company and they, then they're not gonna be a good ambassador, of course, that kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, but that's, I think why also, being distinct and having clear values and really being uh, consistent with, you know, what you stand for, what you believe in is also going to make, um, you know, your employees feel like, well, this is something I can get behind or I'm proud of, of, of my company because of this. And I think if you look at, you know, some of the, mo the biggest brands in, in the world, um, of course, people are kind of uh, proud of working for a famous company that, you know, a lot of people love to use or buy or whatever it is. Um, so I think those kind of go hand in hand, but it has to, I mean, yeah, it, it has to have some sort of, um, it, yeah, it, it can't just be fluff and words, of course, they have to live up to it. We're nearing the end of our, our, our interview. Uh, thank you so much, Digga, for giving us more insights into Scandinavian brands we used IKEA as an example to broaden it out. And I think what, what you pointed out very well is the relationship between brands and the societal values that brought forth these brands. And also why they have become successful in this manner. This, this cooperation, this, this design thinking, if you want to call it that way, of bringing all the different parts about early. The democratization of the brand itself. That's very, this egalitarianism is very... Um, fitting the northern societal model, by the way. And that, of course, brings issues if these brands or these type of brands go forth into the world where there is another structure of society. And what you'll always find, by the way, that even in these structures, there are large groups of people that are very much open to, uh, uh, to a brand. Perhaps they're the minority, perhaps they don't have the freedom to express it all, but they're still part of uh, society. Thank you, Dick. I found it really fascinating. I didn't expect this strong relationship between brands and this international component of social cultural values to be such an interesting part of the discussion. Great. 
Well, really great talking to you. And uh, I mean, we did speak a lot about IKEA, but I guess I'm, I'm a bit I'm a bit brainwashed. I really like IKEA. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Digger, for joining us today and sharing your vision on what makes Scandinavian brands so special and what we can learn from them. I hope, dear listeners, that you found these insights inspiring as well. And if so, please share our Branding Over Wine podcast with friends and colleagues. And when you have a moment, we'd love to get your reviews or ratings. Hope to have you all listening in on our next podcast. And thank you all for tuning in.